0: Well, we are in Matthew chapter 6, and uh, we are continuing in this series that we've called Better Than Good. How not to just be a, a good person, but how to be perfect, as God your Heavenly Father is perfect. What a challenge. But we're learning it's about grace and about God's good work in our lives, and uh, motivated uh, in a different way than, than just trying to be good, but knowing who you are in Christ. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Today I'll let you... Find that. But I'm going to tell you what we're talking about. And it is money. Money. We all need it. Most of us wish we had more of it. Right. We uh, can probably admit that none of us manages it perfectly and we've all made mistakes with it. What Dave Ramsey would call stupid tax. When you buy stuff that you shouldn't have done, you made bad money decisions. Some of you are wondering, most of us wonder, well how do I do compared to everybody else in the world? So I'll tell you, the median household income in the United States, median means half make more and half make less, the median household income is around 56,000. Adjusted for inflation, that's actually 3,000 less than 1999, believe it or not. So about 56,000 a year. Now some of you are wishing, thinking, man, I wish I made that much money. And some of you are thinking, how can anybody live on that small amount of money? Right? It's It really is kind of relative. But let me kind of spin this stat out for you. Over 70% of the global population, the world's population, more than 70% live on less than $10 a day. So that's like $3,600 a year. And you're saying, oh, but it's cheaper in other places. Oh, okay. I'll grant you that. But the top 7% 7% 7% make 18,000 or more a year, $50 a day. So if you make 18,000, you're already in the top 7% globally and you're probably in the top 1 or 2% wherever you are just simply by the fact that you live here in the US. So most of us globally speaking are pretty well off. But you probably do not want to talk about money today. Right? You want to talk about mercy and grace and, you know, loving our neighbors and good stuff like that. But Jesus taught about money a lot. Because Jesus understood that if, that we can easily become a slave, or in fact we will be a slave to our money, possessions, wealth, if we don't recognize this as a discipleship issue. A matter of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, you know, godly faithfulness commands every area of my life, including my wallet. And what happens there? Including my bank account. Now, this, of course, is nothing new. Godly people throughout history have known uh, these things. The uh, very ultra-wealthy, you know, super-wise King Solomon has said things like this. We've got this on the screen out of Proverbs chapter 11. He said, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Well, that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Like you give and then you get more wealthy. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Maybe, just maybe, that Solomon, in spite of his piles of gold, understood that wealth was about more than cash. Maybe he got that. Well, let's fast forward a thousand years from Solomon to Jesus and read what Jesus had to say about money from the Sermon on the Mount. Here, if you're following in your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you can use that on your smartphone app. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I recommend uh, we here we, for reading on Sundays, we use the New Living Translation. The Bible is a great thing um, to just get in the habit of bringing to church. And let's stand together as we're in Matthew, first book of the New Testament, big number six, small number 19. Jesus is speaking and he says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? These are called rhetorical questions. You already know the answers to these questions, right? Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, as Connor just made that reference out of 1 Peter, right? He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek first, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Isn't that true? Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for His Word. Wonderful. Well, there really is a lot packed into those uh, few verses. And so, um, we're, we're going to power through this. And we're going to start by looking at four commands of Jesus. There's two don'ts and two do's. Some do's and don'ts from Jesus. And so, verse 19 has the first do not command. And the do not command is do not store Earthly treasure. Now, this is not a salvation issue. Okay, this is this is not about whether or not you're going to be saved. This is a common sense issue. Jesus never said that wealth is evil. Listen to me. Jesus did not say that wealth is bad, uh, or, or or sinful. He didn't say don't have nice stuff. Right? There's no virtue in being poor or stingy. There's no holiness in being frugal to just to pile up more money there's there's no benefit in that uh, spiritually speaking the problem according to Jesus is that it's all our earthly spending is short term and so according to Jesus nothing lasts stuff wears out breaks down gets stolen you've all had those experiences Right these days I'm I've been shopping for a vehicle for our family and it's fun. I love looking on Craigslist and trying to find you know a good deal and um, but honestly buying a car illustrates this principle more than anything else. It's a terrible expenditure to buy a vehicle. I figure just the depreciation alone is like taking 100 or 150 bucks every month and just putting in the toilet and whoosh down it goes. Oh May is here. Pull out some more money, drop it in the toilet. Whoosh. Month after month, just so encouraging to see that happen. And uh, that's just how it goes. But in Fresno, you need a car, right? You need a car in Fresno. And if you can afford a nice car and a clear conscience, there is no guilt trip from me. I like nice cars. I think it's cool. I, I, it's fun to see. But just know this. It's temporary. It won't last, right? And whatever you use up or store up here on earth means less that you can store up and enjoy in heaven. And when you die, you know, sometimes we ask the question, how much did that person leave behind when they died? The answer is always the same. All of it. Everything. You don't take it with you. So do not store up earthly treasures as a common sense issue. And then Jesus commands, verse 25, do not worry about having enough. Now that one's easier said than done. I think do not worry about having enough. I want to make this personal for a moment, because entire industries in the financial world are built on guys like me, right? Nearly 50 years old, way behind on retirement savings, right? And as I was eating my Cheerios this morning and scrolling through my Facebook feed, this came up from Dave Ramsey, right? There's still hope no matter how much you have in the bank. That's actually not true. But anyway, what to do when retirement is 10 years away? And of course, they put this picture of this guy that I'm scared how much I look like this guy now gray hair, but on the beach with his fishing pole, he's just living the life, right? Cross the finish line knowing you did everything possible to build a great future. Well, on this earth. But I'm concerned about the future beyond the finish line. That's the part I'm concerned about. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that is just a great picture, right? Now, do I worry about retirement? Honestly, sometimes, yes, I do. You can ask my wife about that. right? And why do I do that? It's because I'm prone to trust myself and I'm prone to trust in money instead of trusting in God. Because the money stuff is what I can see in front of me. And, and Jesus warns us, right? Verse 31, have got that on screen. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? You know, that is literally what I think about every morning. I wake up and I think, what am I going to have for breakfast? Where's my coffee? And what should I wear today? Some of you are not so sure about what I'm wearing today. I asked Jesus. He said it was fine. So, he says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Do I trust my Heavenly Father or not? I tell you a little story that happened to me yesterday. Uh, my son had a couple of friends over and so like a good dad providing for his children, I ran off to Winco, get some stuff to make pizzas and uh, I just pulled in my parking spot and wouldn't you know, the moment I I was just sat there thinking about what I needed to get and a a little bird, let's call it a sparrow, landed on the hood of the car right in front of me, like right at the base of the windshield. I've never seen that happen before. And it's like, and he looked right at me and as if to say, I don't got to go shopping. You know, it's just like, Really? And it's just like, Lord, thank you. You reminded me. You take care of the sparrows. You're going to take care of us, too. I shouldn't worry because I have a Heavenly Father who already knows all my needs. So those are the do not commands. And there's two do commands. So if we do not store earthly treasure. He says in verse 20 that we should store or do store. It's a command. Store heavenly treasure. Now, some are going to tell you, well, this really isn't about money. This passage is just about like doing good deeds. And, 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 you know, I'm being a good person, but I'm telling you, this is exactly about wealth. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And he commands us, store it up, but in heaven, where it won't get stolen, it won't break down, it won't wear out, and it just makes more sense. Enjoy it now for a little while, or enjoy it later for eternity. None of us are going to get to heaven and say, gee, I, I wish I'd saved more money. Man, I wish I'd bought more toys. We're not going to say that when we get there. We're really not. And the miracle of God's economy is that you can actually exchange the currency in your wallet for heavenly treasure. And even better than that, the rate of exchange is not the same for everybody. If you only have a little, but you're investing in eternity, it grows, I believe, greater than the person who has a lot and gives some. It's amazing. You can store eternal treasure. Now the New Living Translation actually misses an important uh, detail in this passage when it says don't or store up verse 20 store your treasures in heaven um, because literally it's store up for yourselves NIV says that ESV says that other translations for yourselves treasure in heaven it's it's about a direct personal benefit almost sounds a little selfish doesn't it because your good deeds now listen your good deeds will be rewarded by God Jesus teaches about that elsewhere but we're not talking about deeds here we're talking, that's what God does for you, but this is different. This is your investment. Financial investment is putting treasure in heaven. It's, um, your deeds are more like, you know, an employer giving a bonus to an employee for a job well done. But this is you exchanging today's money for eternal treasure. And then the other do command is way down in verse 33 when he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you. Everything you need. The, the do there is do seek first God's kingdom. Listen, Jesus did not preach asceticism. You know what that is? Like where you kind of punish yourself to like be somehow more spiritually perfect or holy or something like depriving yourself. Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus didn't teach poverty. You know, taking poverty vows. Jesus is not saying don't earn a good living. If you have the capacity to earn, go for it. If your business is doing well, I pray it does even better. When I meet with business people, I pray that they prosper. Right. Jesus didn't say, go be a hermit monk somewhere. But what's happening is Jesus is giving us an alternative to the reality of this life's temporariness. I don't know if that's a word or not. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an alternative to the temporariness. Don't worry about your earthly kingdom. Seek first the concerns of God's kingdom. And let God provide for your needs. Now, nor is seeking the kingdom of God about earning or proving your salvation in Christ. It's not about your efforts to be a nice person. This is about investing your life into the things that God cares about simply because God, your Heavenly Father, cares about those things. I, You know, I've noticed oftentimes that boys, for example, who love love baseball do so because their dad loves baseball. Or kids who love to fish or hunt or work on cars do so because their father loves to fish or hunt or work on cars. There's a kind of a parallel, a pass down from the fathers to the children. And in the same way, if we grasp that we're really a child of the Heavenly Father, we'll want to do, we'll want to be concerned about the things that our Heavenly Father is concerned about. And we'll trust Him. So seek first God's kingdom. I could just tell you amazing stories of of folks from missionaries and others who've who've gone into a place where they just trust God to provide. And again and again and again, they've seen how God has met their needs because they've put their faith in Him. Now, if you're following in your outline today, those are kind of under that first point. But your second point is this, and you might be a bit offended by this, because what if I told you that Jesus wants you wealthy? Jesus wants you wealthy. Sound a bit like a prosperity gospel, right? A TV preacher Just plant the seed with me and God will make you so wealthy. That's not what I'm saying, right? We've already pointed out, though, the somewhat selfishness of this command, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It's a command, not a suggestion. He wants you to store up treasure. And anyone who has stored up treasure is wealthy, right? A rich person isn't someone who earns a lot. A rich person is someone who has stored up a lot. We're not talking about cash flow. Somebody's gotten rid of their debt and they have a big pile in the bank. We say, oh, that person is wealthy. That person's rich. Right? Jesus wants you to accumulate wealth and lots of it. Just not here. Not here on earth. Where? Moths consume it. Rust consumes it. Thieves steal it. Right? On earth, it's an unwise, short-term investment. And like I said before, even if you earn a little here in life, you can... Pile up wealth in heaven. I was 20 years old when I received a cash settlement from a fairly serious motorcycle accident. And my mother wisely said, um, you should put that aside for a down payment on a house. Now, that was when we were getting like 8% and better on term deposits. That really would have been a smart move, financially speaking. But a house at 20 years old? I was not thinking about that, right? So after tithing on that money, I bought a truck. And I put a nice stereo in it. There's my truck. Becky and I, we were very much in love. We had matching bicycles. Oh, yeah. That's us actually leaving for our honeymoon, right? We're just about to cross the border. We're just ready to just enjoy life together. And then five years later, someone ran a red light. And this happened. Oh, and it's totaled. It's done. It's over. It's finished. Never mind that I took care of it. I waxed it. Washed it. Waxed it. I changed the oil regularly. I mean, I babied that thing. Done. By now, it's probably in its second or third life, with recycled steel and your coffee tumbler this morning or something. Who knows? Right? It doesn't last. Jesus wants you wealthy, but not in earthly terms. I could have maybe bought a lesser vehicle and used some of that money to invest in God's work could have you know supported a missionary translating the scriptures or planting a church or feeding the hungry or supporting my own church or sponsoring a bible college student but instead it's gone and Jesus gives us a hint as to why this is so hard for us it's because we worry and worry is a measure of our master Worry is a measure of our master. We already looked at that command, do not worry. But worry is actually a symptom of a larger problem. And the larger problem is this, that when God is not the master of my life, materialism will be stuff, money, junk, right? And because I can't trust materialism to provide for me, it's not a living, loving God, right? I can't trust materialism to provide for me, then I'll worry, And if I'm worrying, it's because I have the wrong master money or the older term. Maybe your Bible uses that mammon, which is just a term that means wealth or or goods or uh, accumulated things. And amazingly, Jesus can say, do not worry. And if you're a worrier, you say, Jesus, that's easy to say, but I can't help it. I just I just do. That's just who I am. That's my nature. And Jesus said, no, it's not. If Jesus says you can stop doing something, you can stop doing something. Do not worry, he says. It's possible he can help you because worry, according to Jesus, is a choice that we make. Now, worry is a measure of our master. But then Jesus throws in a seemingly odd or unrelated teaching about our eyes and our bodies. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. What does he mean by that? What's he talking about there? It's about what I look at determining what enters my heart and what enters my life. If I'm fixated on earthly things, whether my bank balance or what's on the TV, or what's on the internet, if that's like got all my attention, there's no light of God's truth filling up my life. But if I put my eyes to godly matters, then my whole life lights up. You know, this is why, for example, we've been promoting and putting in front of you City Fest promotions. Because I want you to look at the things that are valuable and precious to God so that your life is filling up with light. Someone posted a thing on, on Facebook. This weekend is the... The Spanish language version of City Fest happening in Reedley. A bunch of people got saved yesterday. It was exciting. I saw that. I'm like, God, oh, that's amazing. And light is filling my life as I watch that. I've got a, a, a young, um, friend or family friend, I should say. Years ago, 11 years ago, we took a family, actually, 12 years ago, we took a family on a, on a, on a missions trip. And, uh, one of the kids at that time, she was, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. And we had a quite an experience. And we came back. She finished school. She went to culinary school. And since the Lord leading her, calling her today, she's taking care of the food needs and so on for an orphanage in Zambia. And loving it. And she she's really good at her stuff. She's really good at the culinary stuff. She could be making bank if she stayed back and worked in a good restaurant. But instead, she's just serving Jesus and loving it. And I, yesterday, she posted a picture of seven people getting baptized at their orphanage, and I'm telling you, I read, I look at that, and light is just entering my life. I'm like, God, that's, that's important stuff. That's what matters. That's a thing that I should care about because I want to care about the things that God cares about. I'm telling you, um, these things are important, right? Um, oh man, uh, there's banquets. Right. um, uh, Recently we had the Hope Now for Youth Banquet. Next month is the the Horn of Africa Banquet. If you get an invitation to these places, you've got to go. Why? Because you get into a place where light is entering your life. You're watching and seeing the good things that God's doing and you're drawn into that. Say, yes, yes, God, I want to be a part of that. It's filling my life. Immerse yourself, expose yourself to the things of God and the things that God is doing. Anyway, enough about that. If you're filling your life and your heart with God's light, You'll love the things of the kingdom and you'll want to spend money on it. The eyes and the heart are joined together and it all ties back to verse 21 where Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Which leads to my fourth point on your outline today if you're filling those in today that what has your eye and what has your wallet has your heart. See, it's amazing to me that money does not follow your heart. You know that saying people say, oh, just follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Do you have any idea what's going on in your heart? Your heart is completely untrustworthy and it's so easily misled. That's terrible advice. Follow your heart. No, you tell your heart where to go. And one of the ways you do that is with money. So maybe you think, I don't really care about missions. I've never been interested in missions at all. Well, you start giving to it. And guess what? Your heart's going to go there, too. One of the reasons, you know, just recently came back from the Philippines again, and one of the reasons why I want to pay my own way when I go, because I'm personally financially invested, and I'm more interested every time what's going on there. Why? Because I put my money there, and guess where my heart goes? Boom. That's how it works. You're, you want to be invested in your church, you want your, you know, you want it to matter more what happens here, put your money, and guess what? Your heart will go there too. That's how it works. Your heart does not follow, I mean, your money does not follow your heart, your heart, Follows your money. And um, you can, it's just ask anyone who's got that experience. I love supporting, you know, when, uh, you know, some of you guys are going to send me a letter sometime, whether it's this year or after high school, you're going to send me a letter. I'm going on a mission trip. I'll be in Thailand for four weeks and I need to raise funds. If you'd like to support me, go ahead and send me those letters. That's fine. Okay? I'm happy to do that. I love getting those letters. But my encouragement to you is make sure you also put some of your own skin in the game. Not just your time, but your money. Because here's what will happen. When you do that, you won't just go and say, Oh, I had a great experience. You'll go and say, I'm invested. I actually care now. Maybe it's just that you're going to pray in the future. Maybe it's God going to lead you back there or somewhere else. But when you put skin or you put your money in the game, your heart will go there too. That's really important. I wonder how many letters I'm going to get this summer. We're okay with that, right? Yeah. I just send my wife to work, take an extra shift. <laughs> wow, well, I better stop right here. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we could spend weeks on this stuff. I love it. As you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about it. But let's wrap up with some tips on how to start giving. Because I'd hate for you to arrive in heaven with no eternal savings. That would break my heart. Okay? So if what Jesus says is true... Some of you, some of you are going to have more to enjoy in heaven than others. And uh, it's because they invested generously here. So let me help you start. Some tips on how to grow in your giving. First, first one's this. Bring in the full tithe. Bring in the full tithe. Tithe is just a word that means a tenth. It, it was, it's what the uh, Hebrew people were taught to do. Long before the law, Abraham himself tithed. He gave a tenth of all the spoils that he'd gotten in battle. And, um, and it, for the ancient Israelites, the tithe was there to support temple workers, to care for the poor, um, to celebrate God's provision. Proverbs 3.9 says, bring in the first of your fruits or the best of your produce. And so you bring in that top tenth. The way it worked is that, and that if you're reading in the R&R Journal with me, you would have just read about it just this week, how it worked. You bring in the first tenth of your, the best of your produce, you bring the first ten percent, and some of it goes to the poor, some of it goes to the Levites, the, the religious workers. The rest you get to eat yourself, you get to enjoy. But not just at home, you take it and you show up at church and you have a party. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if we had a tithe party? I mean, that's kind of what we try to do at Thanksgiving each year. But, but just to bring it and say, we're going to have a big old party. And in fact, he says, if God has blessed you so much, you can't carry it all to the place of worship, say to Jerusalem or wherever. Then you're allowed to sell it, take the money and go buy buy new stuff in Jerusalem and then eat it. And he says, and don't forget the Levites and don't forget the poor. And every third year, it all goes to the poor and to the temple workers, the Levites. And so there's this constant care for the ministry of the, of the what we equivalent today, the ministry of the church care for the poor, and your own celebration in God's presence. So, I, you know, you begin with a tithe. Something Well, the tithe is obsolete. It's not really taught in the New Testament. And, and you're right, it's not taught in the New Testament. Jesus assumed, you can read that in Matthew 19, Jesus assumed you would tithe. He says, yes, tithe, but don't neglect the more important things as well. And some of us say, well, I'm under the new covenant of grace, I'm not under obligation to the law, so therefore I don't have to tithe. And I'm telling you, Abraham was not under obligation of the law either. And he tithed. Tithing is a is a spiritual principle that exceeds the law. And if I'm under grace, why would I look to give the minimum instead of starting at the minimum and giving what I, what I can, as the Lord directs me to? So, um, and you might be saying, well, Brian, that's kind of a conflict of interest because, you know, doesn't the church provide a salary for you and the other staff? Uh, yeah, that's true. So uh, interpret that as you will. I'm just telling you, not for my sake, for your sake, don't miss out on this. Because when you say, well, I can't afford it, I think you're calling God a liar. If a person who says, well, I can't afford to tithe, it's because you're not tithing. That's why you can't afford to do it. It doesn't have to make sense sometimes to be true. Right. And if you've never tithed, if you said, this is never, I, I could never make this work. I would say make a one year commitment to start. Now, if this is only your grit in your teeth and you're going to tithe down to the penny, I would say forget it. Keep your money. But if you can joyfully and generously say, okay, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to try this for a year. And I'll tell you why it's okay to try this for a year. Malachi chapter three says that the Israelites were robbing God by keeping the tithes, by not tithing. They were robbing from God. And that's why they were in poverty. And God says, Bring in the full tithe to the storehouse and see if I won't bless you abundantly for that. Test me in this, says God. That's the only place where God actually invites us to test him. So go ahead. Test him out. Say, I'm going to do this for a year. God, I'm going to bring in a full tithe for a year and see what happens. And I'll go so far as to say, if this isn't working, I want you to come see me and we'll find a way to set it right for you. I just believe in it. I just think, I I look at my life and I say, there's, it's never not worked. So be a tither because you are placing eternal treasure. It does mean you're going to say no to some stuff. Right? You could drive a much nicer car or have a much bigger mortgage or whatever you wanted if you weren't tithing. But I'm telling you, you would experience poverty in other ways. So start by tithing. You'd be blessed for that. Secondly, um, tip would be to live from a plan or a budget. A budget is a great thing. If you're not a budgeter, You say, well, it's just not my thing. I'm telling you, money is leaking out of your life. And you're spending money on stuff that you have no idea that you're spending it on. It's just draining out of your life. But when you have a budget or a plan, you create some margin in your life. And when you have margin, you can be generous. So uh, you you begin by saying, okay, I'm going to... See, a budget is not a savings plan. It's not a hoarding plan. It's a spending plan. Now, some of that spending plans, some of it's going to go for savings Someone's going to go to my tithe. Someone's going to go to the mortgage company. Someone's going to go to PG&E. Someone's going to go here, see here. But you're, you're planning where it's going to go instead of wondering where it went. It's a big difference in that. So I one a free online tool is called everydollar.com. And uh, they have an easy way. You can just start creating a budget and, and do that. So that gives you some freedom and takes some stress out of your life when you can do that. Third thing is, uh, our third tip I would give you is to look for ways to invest in the kingdom. Look for ways to seek God's kingdom, as he says in, in verse 30, 33 seek implies an effort. If kids are playing hide and seek, the seeker does not just sit and wait for all the other kids to kind of run by. Here I am, right? The, the seeker has to what? Seek. They have to go look, they have to go find. They're digging out ways. Where where are my friends? Where do they go? You're under here. You're behind the curtain. God. I mean, that's basically where kids go. They go under the bed or they go behind the curtain. Those kind of the two spots. So, um, right, they have to go seek for it. It's not passive. It's an active, engaged, intentional activity. And I would say you need to seek out ways to invest in the kingdom. Because there's, now, there's no shortage of opportunities. So I want to be clear that a need does not, does not demand that you're called to meet that need. There's a gazillion things you could give to. So just because, you know, I give to something doesn't mean to say you should give to that too. You need to test the Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians 9 talks about this. Not to give out of obligation, right? What, what someone kind of like, what you feel and then like, said, oh, I should do this. Or compulsion, right? you know, not what someone kind of forces on you, what you feel guilty about, but you give as the Lord directs you. The one thing I would say. Give to things that proclaim the gospel. Let unbelievers give to NPR and humanitarian organizations. You give to organizations that proclaim the gospel. You give to those places that are in God's heart, giving to the poor, giving to things that proclaim the gospel, and, and see how God will do that. Um, maybe you need to put yourself in a plane. Next time we have a you know, missions opportunity, maybe you need to put yourself in a plane and go to some place where there's real need and see what it's like for yourself. Maybe you need to um, jump on board with something that's happened. City Fest is making one last push to cover the expenses. I think last I heard they still need to raise about $300,000. Maybe you want to be a part of that. People hearing the gospel right in our own city. All that to say, friends, that creating—I mean, giving creates an opportunity for eternal joy for your life. Don't fall for the, I can't give, I can't afford to give trap. That's a trap. The devil. We can all afford to give something because we all give to things that are valuable to us. If it's a value to me to go out for lunch every Sunday or if it's a value to me to, to have uh, you know, cable or if it's a value to me to have you know, whatever it is, you find ways to pay for that, don't you? And so I would just say, if it's, if it's valuable, if you make it a value if it's precious, you'll be able to give to it. Don't, don't let Comcast get more every year than God gets. Right, don't let Starbucks get more than Jesus gets. That that's not, it's not a sin. It's just foolish. It's, you're just missing out on the opportunity. Now, some of you, and, and I share this in the 9:30 uh, service where some of our, many of our uh, kind of older saints are uh, invested generously 30, 35 years ago. To be able to purchase this land, build this building, and move in. Now those investments they and some of you as well, those investments you made then will have eternal eternal investment, eternal benefit. But they've also had this world benefit. When you think about the past thirty years here, the kids can hear the gospel. You heard Cade share his story of his sister learning versus Iwana, leading him to Christ. Friday morning, there's 50 plus kids and their moms in here for mommy and me. Uh, You're here right now. Wednesday night, there's youth group, right? Thursday night, there's drop-ins. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens through the week because an investment was made. So we're already reaping great benefits from those investments we make. So some of it you will see in this life and for eternity. What an amazing, amazing thing that God has said. It's a deal, honestly. It's a great deal. God has created And we can do all of this for the simple reason that Jesus was generous with us. Jesus was generous with us in salvation. And he has set up this most amazing currency exchange office where we can take what we have now, cash it in by blessing and helping someone else, and enjoying it for eternity. There's no better thing than that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your amazing economy, your amazing way of doing things, you allow us to take these temporary things and convert them to eternal joy. Or you let us just do with it as we want here in this life. Lord, I thank you that you don't do this as a guilt trip. You're not condemning us, but you're inviting us to experience more. Lord, I, I just thank You the way You've challenged my own heart this week and I pray that You do that for all of us. Lord, that You have stirred up in us a desire to be generous. Not to be a people who live by the minimum, but to be a people who live by the maximum. To be fully alive in all areas, including in our financial life. Giving to You. Knowing that You are faithful and good as the, the one who, who makes good on those investments. We thank You for the privilege that that is to serve You. Lord, our desire is that you be lifted up higher and higher and made more and more known. God, we specifically pray for City Fest this coming weekend. Lord, it just seems like it's kind of snuck up on a lot of us. God, we, we just pray that your, your hand over that whole weekend. Lord God, we pray that people who have been invited would come. We pray for the, the health and protection of all participants of Lewis Palau's team. Lord, we pray that people would hear a clear gospel message and would respond and find eternal life in you. Lord, we just trust you. We pray for great weather next weekend as all those outdoor events are happening. Lord, we trust you to make just a marvelous, um, thing happen for the benefit of your kingdom next weekend. Show us how we can be a part of that this week. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence here. And Lord, we, we just, um, we just want to, we just want to follow you in all these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.